You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 520, we meet the guests at the White Lotus, our always 100% accurate football predictions, and encores at rock gigs, who wants them? That's all coming up after REM and Shiny Happy People. Love Shack uh, a couple of weeks ago. We and did. I always, I always think of this as a sort of sister track to that. Mm, uh, from the, yeah, from the 1991 album Out of Time, REM and Shiny Happy People. 
it's one of those songs which should be really, really annoying. And maybe it was <laughs> when it was played all the time in the 90s. Yeah. But I'm, I think enough time has passed that I'm glad to hear that again. I think it's... Uh, I, I was also a big fan of the version that they did when they went on Sesame Street. I don't know if you've seen that. I have seen um, it. Yes, it I saw is, it and watched it, it this the, week. The very mm. monsters on Sesame Street. <laughs> that is... I think Michael Stipe is a stand-up guy, I must admit. The very happy monsters. I just think it's so cool that they did that. Before people really did that... Before before, you know, yes. we had Carpool Karaoke and, you know, Jimmy What's-His-Name and all, uh, Jimmy Fallon and all the skits and stuff like that. Uh, that was a, that was a fun thing. Uh, there, there's a, You can then fall down a whole YouTube hole of pop stars that have been on Sesame Street. But they were, the, they were I think, one of the first. Uh, Paul Simon's Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard sung on a step to a, to a, a puppet child is very nice. Also recommend Janelle Monae and The Power of Yet, where uh, she and lots of kids wear tuxedos and dance and explain to, to Bert that just because you can't do something at this moment in time doesn't mean you can't do it in the future. Hooray for everyone going on on Sesame Street and singing their songs with puppets. Prince is my favourite with the Muppets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. your, your favourite Muppet generally is Prince. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. Welcome to episode 520 from the Parish Council. I'm Terence Stackham. And is she shiny? Is she happy? Let's find out. It's Juliet Harris. Well, I'm definitely a person. Um, I'm not sure how much. Well, some would say I am and who can blame them, frankly. But anyway, hello, everyone. Maybe once a year, one TV show comes along that friends start saying, oh, you really will enjoy Mm. this. And a sort of buzz is created around it. Most of the TV shows I've really enjoyed in recent years have come from trusted friends recommendations going back to the sopranos the wire gilmore Mm. girls curb your enthusiasm and more recently succession and schitt's creek yes this year that buzz is all about hbo's the white lotus tv fans go wild says uh, the daily mail Uh, a razor sharp satire the guardian and uh, gq says dark weird and completely brilliant The White Lotus is created, written and directed by Mike White, who has a long history in American TV and film, ranging from Dawson's Creek to School of Rock. This new six part series, it looks at the ups and downs of staff and guests at a resort in Hawaii. And Jules, this week we watched episode one of The White Lotus we did. And interestingly, I hadn't had this recommended to me yet. Um, I just heard about this through you and I did read the review in The Guardian that raved over it. Um, so this is I, I'm quite thinly American TV. So I know lots of people that watch all the big American programs. Um, I, I'm not so keyed in on that sort of thing. But this was... I'm surprised no one did recommend this to me because this was exactly the sort of American program that I really liked. So if I had to think about my favourite American programmes, of, of, you know, the ones that really struck me over the last 20 years or so, Six Feet Under, that was a big one, and Desperate Housewives. And I felt this this was very much on the same sort of jam in that there is a lot going on under the surface with this, but it's got this, you know, very sly exterior. I really enjoyed this, actually. I thought the thing that I liked about it was it's the first of a news of a a series isn't it so a season so so you there's a lot of setting up which actually Mm. I quite enjoyed because I thought it did the setup of all the characters really well I I felt like that we were shown 
quite a lot of these people quite early on but it, it was it was a very good setup because it's it's hard reviewing drama isn't it because i don't know how, to what extent to spoil it but basically it starts with a chap by himself um whose honeymoon appears not to have gone that well and because he is not there with his wife um he's quite rude to a couple that are trying to find out what is going on like us and then we do it one week previously and it's 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 clever to start off with that because you're sort of waiting to see what's going to happen. There were a lot of stories going on on this. There was occasionally the odd serious side to it as well. I thought I didn't think it was entirely without depth. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm I'm definitely going to try and get hold of the the, the rest of the season uh, because I I I really want to know what happens next. And I think that is the test of whether or not a program is good. Does it hook you in? Do you want to know what happens next? Yes, I do. I really do. I I I love the kind of juxtaposition between you know people that are trying to deal with things in their lives and actually all of the the characters families involved all had something going on didn't they i very much enjoyed the completely dreadful teenage girls i thought they were really well played and just how particularly the blonde one how what how mon- how just casually monstrous she was <laughs> i very much liked the um <laughs> i felt for the poor honeymooning honeymooning bride who seemed yeah. to have be falling in with the fact that she was perhaps trapped in a nightmare but very much trying not to acknowledge that it was very very slickly done i think and it had things to say i thought that the uh, armand the uh the, the chap that was sort of the head guy that was the head service guy was saying some very interesting things about how people basically wanted to be the very rich want to be treated like the special child i i, I really <laughs> thought this had something about it i thought it was sharp but not annoyingly so it wasn't too pleased with itself i i i wasn't i i, I didn't get that sort of vibe off it i think this this could well be i've only seen one episode but i think this could well be in the vein of the success of Desperate Housewives or Six Feet Under something that's a, that's a little bit darker but not you know people shooting each other as gun lords you know I thought there was there was something that was that was definitely happening in it that that I want to stick with so yeah I liked this very much I thought it was well done I think it's so beautifully constructed it re- it reeled me in within the first minute mm. as you say with mm. the geezer at the airport almost every line is a zinger and yes. every guest and many of the staff are instantly dislikable but the brilliance of the script means we all just sort of form a bond with them and we do and, yeah, yeah we, we just it, we just go along with it don't we yeah. I just went along with all of this because the writing was so good this, this is a hotel in 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 paradise but we Mm. Sort of immediately sense that it may not quite be the nirvana yes. it purports to be. One running theme through the first episode, with no spoiler, as you say, no spoiler, but um, is that there's an imminent event. But for much of the episode, that event is only signified by the facial expressions and the sort of general stress portrayed by the yes. excellent Jolene Purdy, who plays. She was Lachlan. very good, wasn't she? She was she, she 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 had perhaps the role that could have been played very broadly, but mm. she brought quite a lot of subtlety to it, I think. And as a result of which, when the event that is very clearly coming does burst onto our screens it's um yeah it's 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 all of a sudden you kind of you just think oh 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 it was yes. I, I did oh quite a lot during this yes. i must admit it was it was it was excellent i think 
yeah, disaster seems to to hang in the air at this place, the White Lotus. So it just yeah. it has the same sort of lunatic ambience um, as Shit's Creek, crossed with Lost. I thought even mm. even of course even the relaxing spa with its inevitable lava rocks and Hindu chanting yes. has an atmosphere of despair. I'm, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't the in- <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't the intention, but it led me into feeling I never ever want to go to yes. Hawaii. <laughs> it, it it made me think, what is happening underneath the surface here? And there was uh, I think it was quite clever how they there was sort of chanting and there was sort of locals. There was the person blowing the conch, and it, I don't know if it was deliberate or not. But any time I see anyone with a conch, I immediately think of Lord of the Flies, and there was that kind of sort <laughs> of und- under under sort of belly of this idea that particularly with the chanting as well there's a scene where one of the characters is particularly highly strung goes for some sort of massage and joins in with the Sanskrit chanting and (laughs) there was although it was done very much for comic effect that she shouldn't be chanting along with this woman having said that I felt there was a little bit of a a hint there of people messing in things that they don't quite understand and and I'm you know I I don't want to I'm not saying necessarily it's voodoo but I think that that was quite cleverly sort of hinted at there was a leaning of this idea that these people are going to this paradise you know to get away from it all to drink cocktails and lawn sound lunches and uh and and go scuba diving and want to participate in i, I really loved the the dad and his boy and this kind of idea that people turn up and just want everything to happen now around their schedule and that's not how it works now i i thought there was a there, like i say like you said there was there was a lot going on here but it was it was although you might argue it's not a subtle program there were some moments of real slapstick and real chaos having said that that there was i think it was making some points about not just how awful the super rich are but how kind of entitled a certain type of person is but i i felt that it wasn't they weren't banging me over the head with it i didn't think i i I thought that it was it was done in a way that still made it interesting because as you say the writing the script was so good Mm. and the characterization was really good as well and i'm already worried for the bride i'm already concerned (laughs) as to what's gonna happen she was that was a very good performance i think it was very you the sense of someone falling in but trying not to fall in was was really well portrayed i thought Yes, it's hilarious, but there's just this air of mm. almost menace in the yes. air. It's there's like this, this edge. I'm yes. waiting for it to go wrong, and 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 that's a, a very good setup for a first episode, I think. But I get the impression because there's six or seven in this series, either it's going to go really, really wrong for a very long time, or we're going to have two or three more of these before it. And 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 it, that the thought of that is just delicious, Terence. I'm I'm very much enjoying being toyed with here. It's great. Yes, me too. As ever, around the world, you'll have to check where you mm. can watch this in your own region. But The White Lotus is available on HBO in the States and on Sky Atlantic in the UK and mm. Ireland. Coming up next are infallible predictions for the Premier League 21 <laughs> Yeah, we never fail, as our regular listeners will be able to tell you. That's right after Bill Withers. A man we And when I looked at you, you looked at the ground. I don't know who he is, but I think that you do. That gummit, who 
is he and what is a he to you? I had something in my heart and in your eyes. Tell me he's not someone just passing by. I attitude and it's real sort of emotional pain and jealousy but at the same time it's incredibly funky as well and actually this this song it there was a sort of a bit of a white lotus thing going on here i think and it, it, it sounds like a bit of a sort of a strutting sort of funk song but there's real pain and anger and jealousy um going on under here which i really like and it's a very long way from the lovely day laid back kind of mm. usual stylings of bill withers it's um it's it's really I, I really like this. I find this very um very engaging. Um it was featured on the soundtrack to Jackie Brown um the Quentin Tarantino's film. I think it's also been uh, sampled for various things. There's it's it's super cool and a bit scary and I really like it. That is Bill Withers and who is he and what is he to you? It's a great track, new to me, and um, really enjoyed it. And also particularly enjoyed a, a new euphemism I've learned uh, for mm, for a mm. cussing and a swearing. Oh, go if on. If you don't want to actually say it. He says, dad gummit. <laughs> uh, in the lyrics where, where there are, there are loads of, that is gummit. so good 
there are loads of different ways. I use Dagnamic quite a lot at work. Mm. There are lots of different variations you can do on that. I first heard that um, in the uh, Pelican Diner, which is an excellent cafe on Hastings, uh, in Hastings Old Town, just towards the end of town. Um, I, I haven't been there for some time, but due to quote unquote events, I hope that they are, they are still going. They used to play some excellent um, funk sort of soundtracks. And I heard mm. that in there once while having some pancakes and coffee and reading a paper. And I, I was very happy in that moment. So, so it's nice to come back to that to that lovely moment in the pelican diner once again we find ourselves at the start of a premiership football season and yet again we're about to make egypts of ourselves by making our <laughs> annual predictions well, you can make an egypt of yourself oh, i'm, I'm you very much a soothsayer around these parts i feel after the uh, jose Mourinho uh, well, moment in time i'm living off that for the rest of my life by the way you appear to be yes but jules <laughs> yes <laughs> before that angst filled section for me at least why don't we test your Premiership oh, football man. Okay, yes, with an in-your-face, quick-fire Premier League <laughs> history quiz for you and the listener? Oh, well, I mean, I, if you put it like that, why not? I have five questions for you that's quick-fire quiz, and it is multiple choice. Eric Cantona infamously booted a Crystal Palace support for the <laughs> 1994-95 football season. Oh, Eric. Oh, but, but we're forever, me and Eric. For how long was he banned? Was it eight days, eight weeks, eight months? It was eight months. They it did a scoreboard of his return in October. It was it was very, very snazzy, if I remember. It was a big deal. His kung fu attack on a, uh, a, a Crystal Palace supporter who'd trotted down the steps of, of the stadium to abuse Cantona after absolutely to be to be racist so or xenophobic well, at the very least so uh so in, according to reports so in uh, 1995-96 juliet lucy mm, yes, newcastle squandered a lead of how many points over manchester united before the reds <laughs> eventually won the title was it 2 12 or 22 think it was 12 it was 12 points bonus points for, for you here who were the managers at the time 95 96 uh, it was Manchester it was <laughs> so it was sir alex ferguson saf and i will love it just love That's it if we him. beat them it was kevin keegan kevin and keegan. his the headphone meltdown of which i have one every week on this podcast but yes <laughs> that's one of the most memorable moments i think in 90s premier league football incidentally that season manchester city were relegated they Trump were, the yes. 95-96 with Alan Ball yes. as their manager. Um, you, as they, they used to sing Alan Ball to Wonderwall at a main road. And Manchester <laughs> United fans used to reply, you'll win that all with, with uh, Alan oh. Ball. So, uh, so, which unfortunately turned out to be the case, as lovely as Alan Ball was. Talking of Manchester City, mm. which QPR player was sent off during their defeat to Manchester City on the last day of the 2011-2012 mm. season? Was it Jerry Barton? Les Ferdinand or Vinnie Jones? It was Joey Barton, the man that could fight, start a fight in an empty dressing room. And he, he, when he was coming off and he got involved in even more yes. um, action, he said, oh, I thought I'd try and take another one on my way out. One day, my, my first uh, boss that trained me in the, in the world of law will refer to as a low-caliber individual. Yes. Three out of three for you so far. Mm. Question four out of five. In relation to red cards, three players share the record for most Premier League mm. red cards. Two are Richard Dunn and Duncan Ferguson. Big Dunk. Who is the third? Is it Gary Neville, Roy Keane or Patrick Vieira? 
Oh, now that's an interesting one because I I was hoping you were going to say name one of them and I was going to say Richard Dunn. So so that that did not go how I wanted it to. I am going to say Patrick Vieira. Well done. I thought a oh. lot of people would have gone Roy Keane there. Yes, I, I, I thought Vieira, that, that, that was so obvious that it actually wasn't the right answer. It was too right for it to have been Roy Keane. And the excellent TV pundit Roy Keane and his, uh, his yes. there was a, a he's a become a bit of an unlikely star of Instagram. He posted a picture, I think it was this week, of him and his son um, having a, a, you know, basically chip off the old block, looking very cross somewhere on holiday. So, uh, so yeah, big fan of, of RK. <laughs> Final question. See if you can make it five out of five. Mm. Which former Tottenham manager, Tottenham Hotspur manager, yep. took part in the Dakar Motor Rally in 2018? Mm. Was it Jose Mourinho, Andre Villas-Boas, or Terry Venables? I'm going to go Villas-Boas. You would be correct to do so. Five out of five. It was in Peru, Bolivia and Argentina. And Villas-Boas had to retire when his car crashed into a sand dune in Peru. Well, haven't we all been there at some stage of our lives? So apologies to Villas-Boas, who I think is one of the more underrated managers of our time, I must admit. We didn't think that when he was at Chelsea, but I bow to your. Uh, I, I'm, I'm more than more than more than happy. I was more than happy to be corrected on that. I was not on the wind up. It was just a, a, a lucky bonus. Five out of five, um, with the bonuses intact as well. Superb mm. performance by you. Thank and you so the moment cannot be postponed any longer, Juliet. Mm. Please reveal, and I'm going to be writing these down. I have a pack. Yes. Please reveal your tip for the side to win the championship and achieve promotion to the Premier League. I am going to absolutely regret this. I should not be saying these words and committing them to tape. I'm going to go for my QPR. Wow, okay. I, I, we, we, we're doing well you at the start of the well. season. We started well. well. I'm feeling good, Terence. I mean, of course this means that we'll now finish 12th like we always do. But, I'm, <laughs> you know, just give me this one one yes. chance. To just, one moment uh, I, in the sunlight. One moment in the sun. I, yeah, I mean, we, we probably won't. But you know what? I'm not sure who's going to win. So why not say my own club is one, two from two? Why not, eh? I've gone from the for the ultimate boing, boing, boing mm-hmm. West Brom. To, That's probably uh, a better, a better yeah. answer. But if QBR do win, I'll now be happy on multiple levels. So, uh, so <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, I'm going to say that. Why not? You know, I'm just here for the balance, Terence. That's what I'm doing. Jules, who will be the poor soul to be the first to be sacked as a manager of a Premier League club or leave? I should say, not just sacked. Yeah. Who will be the first to leave? Depart in any yes. way. As well, manager of a Premier League. I, I could be wrong on this, but I've predicted doom for this club all round. Also, I just like the fact that he shares his name with a, with a pop star in a way. Um, it is not the Thong Song hit maker, but I do think that Cisco um, of Watford might be the first that we might be saying goodbye to. Good choice. I've gone for Arteta at Arsenal. Yes, that's um, that's a good choice, I think. I think you might be right, because things are not ideal there, are they? And I've got an outside. My outsider is uh, Patrick Vieira, who's only just been appointed at Crystal Palace. But yes. they were so abject at Chelsea mm, last weekend. I was it there to see that. It doesn't, it doesn't feel... Yeah. I, I, I'm not feeling a lot of joy, I must admit. I'm not, I'm not feeling that's going to go well. That That has a doom cloud over it. Each year, we pick a team who we think will surprise us in the Premier League. Last year, you picked Southampton, I picked Everton. Mm-hmm. Who are you going for as the team to surprise us in the Premier League 21-22? I'm going to go for Leeds. 
Oh, okay. I feel I feel like I I despite I just them being feel, smashed five one at Man U last weekend. I think I, I I just I have a well that was that was the Pogba show really, but um mm. I just I think I can come back from that. I I'm gonna I'm gonna have a little bit of a sneaky thing on Leeds and see how they get on. Rather like your sentimentality for QPRs, mm. with sentimental kind of reasons, I've gone for Brentford. In the oh, nice. That, yeah. I mean, it would Although be a boo, obviously. They, I'm booing in QPR at you, but yes, yes carry on. But if they finish in the top half, that would be sensational, I think. Yes. So, um, hope, hope's high for Brentford as a surprise yeah. team. The big drop. Which three clubs, in numbered order, please, will be turfed out to the hurly burly of next season's EFL Championship? Well, I'm going to start on the wooden spoon number 20 and i am afraid that i'm predicting watford to be to finish 20th i i i just feel big doom clouds around watford generally um so apologies for any watford watfordtonians or anybody listening but i just feel that is not going to go well at 19 and with great sadness because i used to live there very attached to the city and its people i think norwich will will not be delighting us in the in the premier league for much longer and 18 and to feed in slightly to your your Vieira kind of worries I think Crystal Palace may well be going down this season as well I'm sorry to say because I have Crystal Palace powers I again I'm not picking up anything that is exciting or or useful there we do not collude or talk before we uh, oh, reveal our wow. choices. Exactly <laughs> the same. Palace at 18, wow. Norwich at 19, Watford at 20 for me. And that is just sheer Isn't coincidence. Isn't that so that's, bizarre? That's not but, looking good, is it? I've got Southampton and Burnley as outsiders. Yes, to I, I, I um denied my 18 originally I put Southampton, but mm. when I went to write them down, I switched them to Crystal Palace. I've got exactly I, I, the same yeah, three. I think the bottom five is going to be those five teams. Yes. And in order, the Glory Boys, which teams will finish in the top four and achieve Champions League qualification? Well, in four, for me, they don't really uh, qualify as a surprise package anymore. But I've gone for Leicester in fourth. Okay. I I I think I think they've got it in them. Is is my view at the moment? Um, that means you're or, leaving a really big side out of the top four. Then it That's is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. At number three, I've got your Chelsea. Okay. At number two, I've got, I always seem to predict this lot to come second. I've got Manchester United. I okay. think that things look like they're, they're picking up there. And at number one, I mean, it's, it's, it's death, taxes, cockroaches share. The inevitability of predicting Manchester City at number one um, that goes on those things. But they've got everyone, haven't they? They're probably going to get Kane. I, 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 I resent the fact that they just spend all the money and win everything, but I think that's what's going to happen. In terms of teams I've left out, my apologies as always to Jody Bank for leaving out uh, Tottenham. Um, I, I can see them bobbling under, but not necessarily getting in. Same with Liverpool. I don't think the wheels have come off at Liverpool, but I'm... I'm not sensing the same magic as Liverpool as I once was. I'm not sure they're going to be able to maintain things over a season. And I think it's all gone wrong at Arsenal, hasn't it, really? And I don't know. It depends how how quickly they get rid of Arteta and or change something up. But those are my top four. They'll probably be completely wrong. But that's the joy of it, isn't it, really? I agree with you about the wheels coming off for Liverpool. But I've got them just edging into fourth place. Yeah. Um, And I've got, like you, I've put my Chelsea at third. And only because, and I say this every season, 
is that I always feel it is so hard to defend yes. winning the premiership because you you do lose a bit of oomph and um, yes. momentum. And I always remember that I always, again, always quote this yes. time that John Terry always yeah. said that the hardest year every time was yeah. the year after they won a title. Won. So yeah. I put Man City second and I don't know why I, 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 this could be. This is going to be a, a curveball, isn't first. it? Oh, wow. Interesting. And I agree with you that Tottenham will be just, you know, outside that because, I don't know, they, there's always, recent years, there's always chaos at yes. White Hart Lane for some reason. It's, it, it doesn't seem settled. There's always somebody troubled, whether it's a manager or yes. a player. Or it all seems to have become, well, it's not even like they're at White Hart Lane anymore, but wherever they go, there is some sort of ley line that kind of follows them where it all goes, Pete Tong. Hold on until May 2022 to see how we fare with our predictions. I mean, I, I sense that mine will not go well. I sense that, that, that I've cursed QPR from the start. But who knows? We shall see. Coming right up. It's been a long evening. The band have left the stage. <laughs> oh, hold up. They're coming back. It's encore time. Do we love them or hate them? That's next after this gorgeous new track from Lucy Silvers with Cheryl Crow. Go to the beach for the sand and the sea But the sun just makes me stupid I take a picture of you and me Cause I know I'm putting you through it I try, but I'm back to
I first came to know of Lucy Silvers when she was very young and singing backing vocals for uh, Judy Zook. And since then, she had a couple of hits uh, some years ago, but since then she's written hit songs for a huge range of singers and bands from Will mm. Young, S Club, The Saturdays, through to Trisha Yearwood, Reba McIntyre and Garth Brooks. So a wide uh, range for whom she writes. Mm. This is a brand new track. I just love the feel of it. Recorded with Cheryl Crow, Lucy Silvers and Cool Down. Well, I had no idea that Lucy Silvers was still sort of operating. Mm. I, I hadn't really sort of um, checked in there. That was very good. I really enjoyed that. And I also think that Cheryl Crow mm. is, is is perennially underrated. She, she's very reliable, isn't she? And I, I see her as a, as, a, as a quality mark, I think. If Cheryl Crow is involved in something, I'm always going to give it a fair hearing. Yes, this is a lovely track. So you've been standing in Hyde Park for 10 hours and the headliner has finished their set and you're aching to sit down on the tube or in your car. But wait, they're coming back. It's the encore. Here's one you may know, they shout. And before you know it, they're off and running with a secondary set. It could be one song. It could be 10 as the crowd cheer and continue to shout for more. It's now generally accepted that w whether you're Barbara Streisand or Coldplay, you're going to run through your set and then after a suitable ovation, you're going to come back and give it some more welly. And incidentally, at one of her most recent shows, Barbara Streisand sang 13 songs in her main show, but wedged in another 11 in the encore. <laughs> and uh, Coldplay, when they last played live, 16 song set, but another 10 in the encore. Jules, wow. Elvis didn't do encores. The Beatles didn't do encores. Do we want Barbara's 11 extra songs or do we want it to be like the Beatles? Off they go and up come the house lights. Well, it's interesting this, isn't it? So they, they stem, the, the history of the encore, I will do this as potted as I can, um, stems from France in the 1800s. Mm. Um, encore being the French word for again, people at concert halls, th there wasn't really access to recorded music then like there is now. So literally, if you very much enjoyed a piece and you wanted to hear it again, harassing the performer into performing <laughs> it again was your opportunity to hear it again. It was, yeah. and, and it was, you know, it was it was the only way that you could consume music. It must have been, an overwhelming treat to kind of not have music in any other way apart from when you went to see it live so I can see how how it sort of sprung up then um, and then the, uh, people in the theatre would take an extra bow, orchestras might have played a, a, a piece again that got, a, got, a, got applause in the main bit as you say in the 60s and the 70s um, it then became certain bands didn't do encores. There were Elvis's manager, Tom Parker, Colonel Tom Parker, always wanted, always decided he'd go with that maximum showbiz, always leave them wanting more. Mm. So he would not let Elvis do them. Elvis has left the building indeed. Uh, the Beatles didn't do them because um, they felt they'd get mobbed if they if they you know, left it any later. So they were literally bundled into cars and driven away. The Who used to do them when fans wanted them, and maybe that goes back to the original idea because of course now it's just become this ridiculous charade hasn't yeah, it's it, a ritual, really? isn't it and really? it's yes it, it's it's muscle memory it's a, it's a sort of a it's it's a reflex rather than necessarily done my favorite ever encore i think that i've seen just because it made no sense at all and often this this band output doesn't that's why i love them we used to go and see wire a lot with a friend of mine called neil now sadly no longer with us but i have a very happy memory of us going to see wire playing at the um at the con club in lewis i think and 
Wire don't do the hits anymore. They haven't done the hits with Donkey's Years. They do their most recent albums, and that is fine. And you go to see Wire engaging on that basis. So they went off, and they came back for the first song on their encore. And most other bands, you know, if they were in Wire's position, would have played, you know, maybe one, two, X, U, or Pink Hmm. Flag, or, you know, one of their, or Three Girl Rumble, one of their sort of known songs. They came onto the stage. They all sat down. And they did nine minutes of what I can only really describe as feedback. That's essentially what it was. Yeah. This kind of song that didn't really go anywhere. And we we were both, me and my friend, they were both in earplugs. And we had the most marvellous time, Terence, looking around <laughs> the audience, which were all, you know, a lot of couples. Yeah. I think I was the only woman that had gone to that gig under her own free will. Everybody else <laughs> seemed to be somebody's wife, girlfriend, partner. And it was a succession of, you know, we were in earplugs, so we were just able to stand there and laugh as all of these you know mostly women were walking out with hands clamped over ears in long skirts looking very unsubtle I mean it it wasn't you know it wasn't swans it wasn't the worst thing ever it just really made us laugh so I quite I quite enjoyed the trolling aspect of that encore I must admit apparently usually I like to say everything's Eric Clapton's fault or Van Morrison's fault Unfortunately, this is all Bruce Springsteen's fault, apparently, according to Washington Post columnist David Segal. Things have changed from the way Encore was originally intended. Springsteen would sometimes play concerts that would last up to four hours, and the band would come back to the stage over and over. And, of course, Springsteen very dominant in the 80s, and it became the sort of the, oh, well, if Bruce Springsteen is doing it and he's so successful, we ought to do it. Um, it it's very... It, it, it's when people come back and do something unexpected that is genuinely exciting i think but it's it just is so ingrained now that everyone knows that that is what is going to happen um that i i just feel that it's it's like you say it's become this weird tradition and it's just not the it's just not the same anymore we all know how it's going to go we all know that they're that they're going to go off and then come back on again um it's it's you know it needs rebooting i think there needs there needs something to be done about this and i'm not quite sure what happens now it's you know there's perhaps value for money reasons i i don't know but anyway i find it a bit um i i i you know i i am thinking maybe they should just leave the audience wanting more just play a single set what what does it add to, what does it add to if you do 16 songs and then 11 i just don't unless you're gonna at least just call it an intermission at least be honest about it you haven't come back because people wanted more you haven't stopped to sort of create jeopardy you've stopped because the drummer from coldplay needs the loo i mean that's really why this is this has been built in you feel like saying make it into a proper intermission say we're having an intermission pop a little film up maybe on the on the screen i I just think it should be more approached like that because i don't think that 11 songs is an encore it's half of your performance isn't it it's not like oh we're going to pop back and do something that we never do um yeah it's very um it's very unusual i'm i'm not a i'm not a huge fan of them as described now um there was one encore that i saw once that tended to be gen genuinely spontaneous i think some years ago now myself and my co-promoter at the time put on a a gig on a Sunday afternoon in Hastings and Mark Morris from the Blue Tones 
came down to play for us. And he was he broke down, I think. He was coming down from Tunbridge Wells and broke his car broke down halfway through because he was quite late. But he really was a lovely, lovely guy. And he played by himself uh, with, with his guitar for longer than I think we booked him for. And he, the Blue Tone's big hit was a slight return, of course, the one that starts Where Did You Go? And he, um, he appeared to trail it halfway through the performance and spoke about, um, you know, a big song in the 90s that was very important to him that we'd all know. And then brilliantly did stay another day but he's 17 all the way through and at the very end he said oh I'll do one more and apparently he doesn't often play Slight Return by himself and um and he sort of said, oh, you know, I, th- I think I'll do one more. Should I, should I do one more? And it seemed to be genuinely, you know, he, he was sort of looking to us because he'd gone over time. We were like, yeah, I think you can do another. And one of our friends just shouted, oh, for God's sake, just play Slight Return. <laughs> and uh, and he went, oh, all right then. And then just played it. And I said, well, are you going to do that? And he said, I wasn't really sure, to be honest. But, you know, she's quite loud, your friend. So I thought that <laughs> I'd do it. And that's the sort of encore that I've, you know, like, that I quite enjoy, really. I'd like to see more of that and less of the all we're going off now but because there's 10 songs we haven't done it's quite clear we're coming back yes. I, I mentioned some months ago about the worst experience of my musical life being <laughs> tour manager for chuck berry in the yes, 1970s that did not a, sound pleasant and anyway, it's also put me off cheese sandwiches for life it, it would do yes I, I was a teenager he, he insisted um i stand at the side of the stage and sig- signal when 45 minutes yes. was up and he would just walk off even in mid-song i, so I can't question, believe that now, the question of an encore would have been absolutely ridiculed. You know, they mm. paid me for 45 minutes, off I come. I think the weirdest and most atmosphere-busting encore I saw was uh, in the 70s again at the uh, at Emerson, Emerson Lake and Palmer. Mm. They they performed Mazorsky's Pictures at an Exhibition, mm. in full, which was quite a serious piece, and everyone was yes. feeling the atmosphere of it. And then they came back for an encore, and they did a daft version of Bee Bumble and the Stingers Nut Rocker, which essentially killed <laughs> the whole thing. It was a very wow. strange choice. That sounds very peculiar, but, but memorable. The fact that you're still talking about I it now shows so. that it must have yes. worked in some way. I, w- I was grateful. I saw The Who in 1971, which you mentioned there, and said that they, they do encores if they're asked for it. I have never been to a louder uh, gig mm. in my life, and my ears were ringing for days and um they didn't do an encore i remember it really really clearly we just the house lights went went up and out we walked and i think for my um ears and for my hearing in later life i'm quite grateful that we didn't have to extend that sheer blast of noise but um by a mile the best encore i've witnessed prince at the o2 in 2007, because he did just keep coming back by the end of his yes um, i thought you might talk about this i was hoping you would he did 11 encores and wow. many, many of these were extended <laughs> versions and about, by, by the end of the the 11th encore about two-thirds of the crowd had gone and then he wandered over to the sort of a smaller sister auditorium indigo at the o2 mm. and did another 18 songs in there wow. um mainly covers but he did an amazing um another set so he um included amy winehouse's love is a losing game oh, and he lovely finished with aretha's i never, never loved a man the way i loved you so i bet that was that was what once in a lifetime isn't it really? absolutely so he did 29 encores if you uh, in, include the indigo uh set as well which was more than his original that's, set that's, in that's the o2 but it was immense 
quite a night and uh yes as you say that's a set of encores i can i would happily stay back for uh, there's absolutely you, you'll have that forever so you see when something unusual and spontaneous happens like that that is i mean moving venue i would say is unusual and spontaneous so it's uh, that that is super <laughs> yes. i did the most encores i've ever seen patty smith did three encores when i saw her in uh, at the dead of war pavilion in bexhill in 2011 and i remember saying to my friends who ran a record shop around the corner at the time music's not dead it's now in the dead of war pavilion they said uh, one of them dale said to me when we were talking he said oh so there are two versions of patty smith he said we saw her play at the um i think it was the britain festival or some sort of thing in, in suffolk anyway they saw in snape and they said we got the version of patty smith that isn't feeling it goes off after 45 minutes and doesn't come back i said no i got the version that was there i mean they put the lights up in the end i think she did she did three encores and the last of which oh, we thought that she'd gone by this point Patty Smith's hand appeared from the wings and just waved up and down. <laughs> and uh, then did that sort of that, that thing where you, you, you put the, you shake your hand in the middle to go, Oh, do you want it? Or don't you want it? And, uh, and then did a thumbs up and pulled her band back on. And okay. um, apparently only did horses, but somebody shouted for it. And they hadn't planned to do that. Apparently and, as evidenced by the fact that she was often looking to the pianist to check that she was putting the bits in the right place. The pianist was Patty Smith's daughter. <laughs> so uh, rather rather lovely at the end when they did finally take their bow at the end the daughter was i think in her 20s at the time but had the look of a slightly embarrassed teenager as her <laughs> mum pulled her to the front of the stage to uh, for them to take a bow at the end uh, yeah patty did look over to check that her daughter did do the knocking at my door ding 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 dings correctly and she did so uh, so yeah when when encores work they really work but um there, there should be a spontaneity about them and i you know prince got over the is 11 songs really an encore <laughs> issue by moving venue which is quite a, yes, a typically yes. innovative way of dealing with it i would say absolutely well thanks very much for listening this week lovely to have you along yeah I, as um, ever i echo the uh, sentiments of my incredibly superior colleague you're striding out on sunday afternoon to entertain uh people in a live venue i know do you remember those i just about do anyway yes do you remember the good old days on this podcast where i used to talk about all the things that i was there yes. doing and then it just all stopped well i am doing i'm leading the sunday service at the piper venue a pub and very nice pub on norman road in st leonard's on sea if you are around these parts or near to these parts do come on sunday afternoon two o'clock onwards i'll be playing nice things for you to sit and have a drink to that's the plan anyway so yes hopefully i remember how to turn it on <laughs> <laughs> that's the plan my friend can you remember how records work because i have been playing them at home it's just been a while since i've played two at once so let's see what happens and such a lovely song to play us out this week jules well, uh, yes, I, I wondered if you were familiar with this or not, because it, no. I think it was you. It might have been used. I want to say iTunes. That might be wrong, but it gets used a lot on well, your property programs. I'm sure I've heard uh. the, the the instrumental bit at the beginning, you know, as people go to look at uh, look at houses in Wiltshire on Homes mm. Under the Hammer or, or whatever it is that they do on those programs. There. I used to mock you for watching daytime TV. And of course, we're all daytime TV people <laughs> now, aren't we? Because nothing else happens. Much oh, in the I same love my way. escape to the country. The country, that's it. I know that's your, that's your thing so um so uh, you know dion dublin or indeed otherwise um i, I love this I, I i really enjoy i think france has brought some great artists to the world anyway um and i i think this chap is rather underrated but i think he's i think this is a lovely piece of music and that it does two different things at once um i say i say this chap is french he's actually english but i think he has spent some time in france and it's very much got that vibe about it i think um 
This is it's he's currently releases records on Warp, which is always a little bit unusual. There's a there's a French vibe to this that I think is lovely. Um, I, I'm glad you enjoyed this as much as mm. I do. Uh, this is Bibio, um, and I would say if you are like Terence and you dislike instrumentals, stick with this because it does it does go somewhere else. The beginning is is lovely, but it does go somewhere that is very pleasant indeed. This is Bibio, and this is Lovers Carvings. <laughs>
listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>